the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When my father was in his late 60s, he and I enjoyed a father-son weekend together. He had just recovered from shoulder surgery. The surgery went fine and ultimately proved successful. But the recovery period lasted a lot longer than he expected, and he had to endure considerable pain. One night on our weekend together, My dad confided in me his anxiety about how he had reacted to the situation, which, according to my mother, was not very well at all. He said, if I can't handle this shoulder surgery, how am I going to handle serious illness? This, I think, was an honest admission of vulnerability to what aging might bring, and of weakness born of the knowledge that he couldn't do everything on his own. I sensed my father desired strength and courage to move into an uncertain future with less anxiety and with some assurance of help from outside of himself. As I reflect on that conversation in light of today's gospel lesson, I think my dad, in a roundabout way, was asking for more faith, more confidence that he could bear what might come. Not unlike what you and I might desire when we feel inadequate, when confronted with a new and difficult circumstance or challenge. Not unlike the sense of inadequacy I imagine the disciples felt in the face of the high standards, the very high standards Jesus was setting for discipleship. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Give to everyone who begs from you. Lend, expecting nothing in return. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's then the admonition that appears in Luke's gospel just before today's passage. If the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. Now, we all know that to forgive another person can be very difficult, and it can take a long time. To forgive the same person seven times in one day seems unreasonable, impossible. No wonder the disciples felt inadequate and discouraged in response to Jesus' teaching, and they respond with the plea, increase our faith. Now, if the disciples thought Jesus was about to give them some helpful, practical tips on how to get more faith, they were sorely disappointed. Instead, Jesus delivers almost a rebuke. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, in other words, just the smallest faith in the world, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus' sharp answer implies that the disciples 
had not really understood the nature of genuine faith, a faith that allows you to see and experience and be an integral part of the extraordinary goodness and beauty and grace that defines God's realm. It's as if Jesus was saying, by asking for more faith, you're asking for the wrong thing. You don't need more faith. As Lucan scholar Alan Culpepper puts it, you just need to understand that the faith you already have enables God to work in your life in ways that defy ordinary human experience. You don't need more faith. This is wonderful news for you and for me and for my dad. Whatever faith we have, whether we think it a little or a lot of weak or strong, it's enough. As a small diamond is a diamond no less than a large one, so a little faith is no less faith than much faith. Even a little faith enables God to work in our lives in powerful ways. Here I'm thinking of a one-time parishioner and a friend of mine back in Michigan. He was a very busy and sought-after orthopedic surgeon. There was one problem, though. He hated his job. And those are his words, not mine. He hated his job. That is, until he heard someone in church quote Barbara Brown Taylor on the nature of Christian call. She said, Ministry might involve being just who you already are and doing just what you already do with one difference. Understanding yourself to be God's person in and for the world. Understanding yourself to be God's person in and for the world. Something clicked in my friend's head such that he saw himself for the first time as someone whom God had given the gifts and skills for healing. Those of us around him thought this was obvious, but it wasn't obvious to him. That subtle shift in attitude, which he later attributed to the Holy Spirit, completely changed his perspective on his work and consequently completely changed the quality of his life. He didn't need more faith. He just needed to appropriate the truth Jesus taught. Faith in whatever measure enables God to work in ways that defy ordinary human experience. To see the immense change in this formerly frustrated person's life was amazing. To this day, some 17 years later, my friend is as busy as ever in the operating room, but still makes time to go on two medical mission trips a year to treat children and youth in desperate need of surgery. I think what energizes him is the knowledge that God has blessed him and that he is intended by God to be an instrument of God's blessing to others. So my friends, it's not great faith we need. It's faith in a good and gracious God who is active in our lives to bless us with meaning and purpose. 
Tom Wright, the New Testament scholar and former Bishop of Durham, offers this helpful image. Faith is like a window through which you can see something. Not a stained glass window because you can't see anything (laughs) through it, except, of course, the beauty of the art. But he says, faith is like a clear window, I should clarify, through which you can see something. What matters is not whether the window is six inches or six feet high. What matters is the God that your faith is looking out on. If it's the Creator God, the God active in Jesus and the Spirit, then the tiniest little peephole of a window will give you access to power like you never dreamed of. So maybe the challenge for us is to take the focus off of ourselves and our worries about whether the faith we have is enough and on to God who stands ready, always ready to reassure us with help and comfort, to surprise us with new possibilities and relationships, and to gift us with the power to make a difference for the good in the lives of others. Here I think it's helpful to remember that faith is neither passive nor is it strictly personal. For faith is not so much, I think, about believing as it is about expectation, of expecting God to bless you with good things that you cannot obtain yourself, like meaning and purpose, forgiveness and new beginnings. So faith is not passive. And more than that, faith is about expecting God to use you to bless others, to inspire you to be generous, compassionate, and kind, to inspire you to forgive another person, even the same person, seven times in one day, and to inspire you to take your place in a faith community like this one that affects positive change in its neighborhood and city, all for the sake of Christ's love. So in that sense, faith is never strictly personal. So look through the window of your faith, whatever size it may be, and cast your eyes on God, who loves you beyond measure. And raise your expectations that God will continue to bless you richly and call you afresh to be an instrument of God's blessing in the world. Then when that happens, as surely it will, respond with thanksgiving and praise, which in turn will confirm your faith and embolden you to expect even more. Amen.